to another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. My name is Charlie Wallace. I'm Adam Gobeski, and please welcome our three guests. We have Dan Hess. Thank you. Paul Wilcox. It's great to be here. And Doug Gobeski. Thanks for having me. And we're back with our sci-fi shuffle series, number five. This week we're talking about the 2018 film Prospect with uh, Dan Hess. He's the one who chose it. Last time we did an episode. Yeah, so last time you guys uh, invited me on and then asked me if there was a movie that I thought looked interesting. And and I did a quick, honestly, I just did a quick Google search and, and I think I searched underrated sci-fi movies or something to that effect. And this was one that came up and I thought that looks kind of interesting. Plus, Pedro Pascal seems to be good in everything he's in. So I thought, how bad can it be? And here we are. Here we are. I do have one complaint. It's supposed to be sci-fi shuffle, but... Google Play clearly identifies it as a Western. <laughs> it's got gunfights. All right. I it, guess stop it, the show. <laughs> it does have a parallel to like gold smelting kind of thing. Yeah. Been so long since I've seen Treasure of the Sierra Madre. I can't say how many parallels there are. Oh, but not that many. Is Google Play just like a single tag system? Or is that like the second tag? Uh, single tag. Oh, okay. The first tag is movie. <laughs> so someone, someone... <laughs> well, have any of you Film, seen live uh, action? <laughs> have any have any of you seen the Coen Brothers Netflix movie, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs? Yes, I have. Yep. It's it's awful, but there is a uh, <laughs> one of the mini stories features Tom Waits digging for gold. I actually thought of that. Oh, yeah. During one of the scenes in this that, like, it felt kind of similar where, like, he's digging for gold and somebody comes up behind him and wants to steal it from him or steal his claim. I All I know that. is that uh, Pedro Pascal was doing his best Mal from Firefly impression. Oh, yeah. I was definitely mm. going to say that. <laughs> it felt very, very much like that. We could dedicate an entire uh, section of this pod on what you think the writers were influenced by because <laughs> I, I picked out a few things that like jumped off the the screen at me <laughs> well i guess before we launch into that we should just establish if anyone had seen this before i'm gonna guess probably not because uh, i think this is a an independent film and not one i had ever heard of prior to dan's choosing it but is that true for everyone else i i just seen it pop up in netflix when it was on netflix probably because they thought I would like Pedro Pascal, so big picture of him <laughs> in his space suit. They knew you. Oh, the people uh, that I, they give me, like, <laughs> for the main actors in movies are ridiculous. <laughs> Any movie that has Paul Rudd in, like, the smallest role whatsoever, but a big picture <laughs> of Paul Rudd there, trying to get me to click on it. Okay, but where's the lie? Oh, there's no lie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so just to be clear, would you consider Ant-Man to fall in that category? I mean, it's got Paul Rudd, but he's playing a very small role. He'll be here all night, folks. <laughs> I think we have to keep that in the podcast. That was a good one. That was a good one. I mean, but uh, it I, averages out because sometimes he's big, right? <laughs> so I did look up Prospect on BoxOfficeMojo.com, and it made like $22,000 playing at... Uh, someplace in the UAE. Not really a theatrical release. Here. That's something weird about those numbers. So, yeah, I was tasked with looking up the backstory on this, and oh. there isn't tons. I mean, it was written and directed by Christopher Caldwell and Zeke Earl, who 
didn't really have any credits before this. They had made this as a short film, which later they were able to sell as a slightly larger film with a budget of $4 million. And then they made it <laughs> clearly in the Pacific Northwest yeah. and got a couple people of note in the movie, you know, not like a, a list at the time. Cause this is like pre Mandalorian pre last of us, but, but post Buffy, the vampire slayer <laughs> many years post Buffy. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, there's something weird about the box office numbers here because yeah, it looks like 22 grand or something internationally and nothing domestic. So either it didn't open and went straight to streaming or the numbers just aren't showing properly. So my guess it's the latter. Yeah. Because Wikipedia has the same info. It's very sparse, but it says 22,000 box office. Yeah, Wikipedia does say uh, it got a regal film release. Yeah. Oh. I would think like one screen would bring that in. But in any case, I mean, if you end up making a $4 million movie that stars Pedro Pascal and then he kind of, uh, you know, takes bursts off. out in the scene, yeah, takes off, that's, that's a win for whatever streaming network picks it up. This would have been post uh, his part in Game of Thrones. Well, that's true. Yeah, so recognizable. So it's not yeah. like he wasn't recognizable at all. That's true. That's after Narcos. Oh, yeah, that's true. And as it's, we noted, it's post Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's got Jay Duplass. And I mean, Mark Duplass was definitely already famous. <laughs> 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 yeah, writer, pro- producer, director, Jay Duplass and his brother. With the same credits, basically. <laughs> so, I mean, he was like, he had got a, a lot of stuff at this point. He was like, a, he was like in a couple successful TV series and several movies. So, like, I don't, yeah. I don't, there's no real yeah. backstory we can find about like why people in particular signed on, except I think Pedro said he just liked the writing. He liked the way his character talked. Well, there you go. What more do you need than a good script and uh, a willing actor? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, where do we want to launch off here? At, um, did this movie, was this movie what you, th- did the plot go where you thought it was going to go? It did for me. I can tell you that based on what I had seen about it previously, when I, I brought it up at the last pod. Um, you keep saying pod. Podcast. Yeah. I think, he, means, I think he wants you to say episode or I don't know. Last uh, episode. Okay. I just don't know this, this Zoomer slang. I don't know. The podcast I listen to, they, I think all of them, they, they refer to their podcast as the pod. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty normal. Well, that's I don't almost, like almost. It. it. It's Mathcast <laughs> or go home. <laughs> so this uh, the last internet radio show that we did. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I all, all I knew of it was that they were on a planet looking for something, and chaos or or trouble ensued. So it was to that end. It was sort of what I was expecting i know at one point like it was uh jay duplass and uh the 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 girl whose name escapes me sophie thatcher is that who that is yeah (laughs) and i was like oh is this gonna be one of those movies where pedro pascal's in it for like five minutes but he gets like all the billing (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it turned out not to be that so i was starting to wonder that about 10 minutes in i was mostly thinking pedro pascal looks different than i remembered in that I mean, I haven't seen any movies with Pedro Pascal. It really bolts down. But yeah, yeah, I thought he was a little bit older. That was all. Real confused. And Pedro Pascal shows up, and I'm like, oh, this is just going to be a back and forth of fortunes. Like, 
we're ambushing you, then you're ambushing us, trying to escape or whatever. And then J. Duplass gets killed, and it's like, oh, now, <laughs> now she's going to be running away from Pedro Pascal. And then quickly that turns to like, oh, now Pedro Pascal is her dad. <laughs> we just so changed actors. Yes. This was a movie that kept you off balance. Uh, up until that point, yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that. When J. Duplass got 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 it happened way quicker than i expected it to like i figured something would go down at some point but it all it all spiraled pretty quickly and then it kind of kept twisting and turning so i would agree with adam there and is jay duplass a, a he's like a kind of a junkie in this right i think that's the that's the impression i got at least yeah. i couldn't tell at first like i was like maybe these are future drugs with no side effects <laughs> <laughs> i mean they seem to be working Sleep drug, you put it in your eye, you fall asleep. Say a couple of silly things, and then you wake up. But then she like doesn't take it. Like I thought she was going to. I was like, okay, he's taking other stuff. I don't know. When she first got back to the capsule after he got killed, though, didn't she grab his like wake up pills or something? Or she did take some drug. He she was took something. Oh, I yeah, that. I wasn't sure if it was like an anxiety thing or what. Well, made her throw those yellow packages around whatever that was was that p or something i don't know what that was <laughs> yeah i was i was trying to figure that out i don't know i kind of like that it's a movie that in some ways doesn't exactly explain what's going on you just have to sort of infer some of the details yeah so on that note one of the things that i wanted to talk about going back to the you know things that i think the writers may or may not have been influenced by over the last couple of years i had read i had read a bunch of roger zelazny books mm. and to me in the beginning at least it gave me a very very heavy roger zelazny vibe in the way that he just kind of plops you into the middle of a story and you pick up what's going on just through kind of context over the first you know couple few pages or whatever but like there's not a real build into it he just slaps you into it and then at the end he just pulls you out and you feel like you just experience like a small sliver of a chapter of a much larger world or universe that like somehow had some pretty in-depth world building without actually going you know the full nine of like a Tolkien or a George Martin or somebody like that right but there's like a bigger world around it but you just got this little sliver of it that you were plunged into and plucked out of anyway I I very much got uh, that same kind of feeling watching this that like they just they plunged us right into the middle of what was going on and then just plucked us out. So like we got one chapter of a much, much, much larger story. I just want to say that when you called him George Martin instead of George R.R. R. Martin, I was thinking of the Beatles producer and I was confused for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I uh, my, my brevity can be confusing sometimes. Jay Tolkien and George Martin. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Toke Dog and G Mart, as I call them around here. Uh, not short, lie, it's I've just no... Rorge Rartan. <laughs> Jartan. Yeah. Jert and Germ. <laughs> I like that too. Like when they were talking about the different planets at the beginning, it was like, oh, I was born on that planet? You never told me that. And they don't really explain anything about what that means, but you kind of can infer it from the way they're talking or, you know, cause it doesn't make sense. Like at least initially, these are two people who know each other like really well. So why would they be going into detail about anything about the universe really beyond just what's in front of them? That is odd that like 
she's presumably a 16, 17, 18 year old teenager who's spent her, I mean, possibly her whole life just in a spaceship harvesting with her dad. And she was never told where she was born, <laughs> where she came from. I think that's part of it. I think that's part of the movie, too. It's not just supposed to be like, oh, that's an oversight that happening because their relationship is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. You want to elaborate on that? Oh, I mean, it's just very like, this is what we're doing. We're doing work together like co-workers, you know, and then like the, the part where like he takes the meds or whatever and is very like wants to talk about her mother and stuff like that. But the rest of it is very, it's a very like, almost seems a little strained to me at a lot of points. Like he yeah. trusts her to do things like read the map, but in a lot of ways he doesn't trust her to do other things. It's just like you and your daughter. I've seen you two interact. <laughs> She's four. <laughs> you don't trust her with maps. No, that's true. Not, or not alien chemicals. Planets. You've never told her where she's born. <laughs> <laughs> Do you let her manage the uh, corrosive and or explosive chemicals? Well, not around meat, I don't. But <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of that relationship, what did everyone else feel about the scene where she actually meets Pedro Pascal? Like when she's back in the ship or in the escape pod or whatever, and he comes in and then they have that exchange. And this is the guy who just killed her dad. Did anybody have any thoughts or, or reaction to how that scene went down? Mm, No, I kind of bought it. She's obviously doesn't trust him, but at some point she has to make a decision about whether to kill him or not. And that's the decision she makes. The, the thing that stood out to me about that was like his rationale for killing her dad. I mean, made sense. But like, again, this is like this teenager who just witnessed her father and possibly the only person she really knows get murdered. And she's like, yeah, that checks out. Well, she does have that story later on when she's amputating the arm about how she's basically, you know, seen some shit. So, you know, she has that life experience was kind of the impression I got. Gotcha. Also, I may have been slightly distracted by thinking about Nathan Fillion in that scene. Because <laughs> that's like the first real time where I just let you listen to Pedro Pascal, like, you know, with the helmet off talking. I'm right. like, yeah, getting real, real Firefly vibes. In which case you were like, hey, I'm getting like a sort of bonus episode of Firefly. I'm in. I mean, I definitely <laughs> mentally cast like Pedro Pascal on like an update of the series. Oh, now that's interesting. I would yeah. watch that. One that's on Netflix for one season is canceled immediately. And so no one ever watches it. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get the numbers we wanted in the first 10 minutes. It's right. canceled. <laughs> it's not tracking. I would totally watch that. I feel like I should confess that the thought did not even cross my mind of comparing him to Nathan Fillion. Why is that? Um, Why did you not think things? <laughs> I think because mentally I decided to anchor myself in pitch black. And so I didn't oh, consider I other stuff, you know, other alternatives. Yeah, actually, I can see that now that you say that. But he didn't remind you of Vin Diesel? <laughs> Did she remind you of Vin Diesel? <laughs> mm. I mean, yes, but that's just a problem I have. <laughs> so, so speaking of anchoring, like I was, I was kind of looking for a good guy and a bad guy at the beginning. 
Like, I think not intentionally, but I found myself wondering early on, like, wait a minute, I'm not sure who's the good guy and who's the bad guy here. Like, even after Pedro Pascal, like, showed up and kind of held him hostage, I was still like, and it's actually a comment that Michelle made as well, because she was watching it with me. She was like, I'm not convinced that this girl's dad isn't the bad guy here. And we're just only saying it from his perspective so far. I mean, I guess from for me, like, it was like they were all scoundrels. And really, yeah. the movie encourages us to see it from her point of view rather than right. necessarily his point of view. Right, right. And he was, uh, Pedro Pascal wasn't wrong. He did, the dad did try to steal the Oralac from him. He's like, all right, there's a case with something. You need to open this up for me instead of just saying, oh, like, all right, my yeah. daughter and I are going to leave now. He's like, oh, yeah, let's see what yeah. else I can get from you now that I've got the jump on you. That, I thought that was an, an interesting take on it that you couldn't, you know, yeah, they were all kind of chaotic neutral, I wrote. <laughs> I think it all comes down, it comes down to that in the end, too. It's like, that's what she's learned. It's like, that's mm-hmm. how you're going to survive is that you're just like all these other people. And you make the deal that you can make at the time to try to survive and get through things. By the way, what did you call those uh, those gems they had? Oh, Oralac? I think they say that once or twice in the movie. I wrote gem hearts. <laughs> for, for anyone <laughs> like who's that read better. The, the, the Stormlight Archives. <laughs> that was another immediate uh, <laughs> parallel that I noted. In fact, when they first started searching for the first one, I turned to Michelle and I said, I think they're looking for gem hearts. And I was just joking. <laughs> and then they pulled that out and she was like, it was gem hearts. <laughs> She's got me reading those right now, by the way. She's obsessed with it. Is that by the Zelazny guy? No, it's by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, Stormlight okay. Archives. I have heard of Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, she's... Uh, we should she's, maybe mention that Doug's not literate. <laughs> when it comes to science fiction. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, when it comes to science fiction, uh, if it was published in the last 25 years, it might as well not exist. Well, Zelazny's definitely older than that. Yeah, I think he's been dead for more than 25 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> But Brandon Sanderson, Michelle is uh, very much a fangirl. Look, if it was after Doc E.E. E. Smith, I don't know it. So if it was after the foundational science fiction work, I would put uh, I would put Stormlight more in a fantasy. Yeah, so. much like how Google puts this in a western. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Noir. You think I was kind of thinking that the whole time. Yeah, just very pretty much a frontier movie yeah you'd think all, all that the way I would, down to like the shotgun it's just ahead. the final frontier you'd think <laughs> that i would consider firefly given that they primed me by telling it telling me that it was a western but no oh yeah and that <laughs> shotgun they kept calling it a thrower and i'm like oh it's a flamethrower <laughs> they're gonna burn some people alive I'm like oh no it's just a gun <laughs> that's what they mean but you have to charge it by hand yeah that's kind of cool that was like yeah, a real like, DIY looking gun too. You'd, you'd think they could really like mount that charger on the gun without it being like that much more like there, there's got to be a way to do that. Yeah, but then it would it would just be the guns that the dupe guys use in Futurama where it makes the the jack in the box noise as they wind it. You know, the <laughs> so, yeah, episode where they're fighting the balls. Nobody remembers this but me. I huh? do remember that now. OK, you had to explain it all the way, but I do remember it. <laughs> 
So on the topic of uh, you know being dropped into stuff and not being given like explicit exposition, was I to infer that there was something toxic in the atmosphere and that's what they needed the filters to filter out? Yeah. Yep. And oh, yeah, so that's, that's what why got in his wounds. wounds yeah. Would, yeah. Oh. oh I did I didn't not put that together. together. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't put that together. Yeah, he said that the, got into the his dust, wound. the dust got in, or something like that. Oh, oh, oh that's why it, the air was like, which is actually what it was when they filmed it. Sparkles, like I read that when they, yeah, when they filmed it, it literally was dust. <laughs> they just threw up in <laughs> the air and like put on after the fact, like filtered after the fact. Because they never really did. I, I didn't think they really like address the the atmosphere that directly other other than you know they're they're all wearing the the masks and air filters and everything i thought it was just sort of a clever writing mechanism or story mechanism to like force them to be tethered together because his filter wasn't working yeah yeah oh that's interesting so they've got to like walk around connected to each other like one of those things that may have backed its way into the script yeah and they're like uh let's have them like physically they have like not just you know metaphorically but physically they're like connected how would how would we do that how would we achieve that and then they were like i know uh it did cross my mind like near the end of it once people were uh getting killed it's like why not just steal their filters they don't need them anymore they're not compatible real apollo 13 hours Exactly. Did this seem like there was like a lot of breath? Like, have you guys seen the meme video of the guy who's like wheezing? It's like a commercial where a guy is like wheezing in between yelling enthusiastically about his local, you know, establishment. And it's like, <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? No, no but Basically, I, this movie made I, me manually breathe like for half of it. Like, <laughs> I am picturing the, the old Adam Sandler Fatty McGee sketch, though, as you're describing. <laughs> oh, you, I kind of loved watching that. it physically it was, taxing. It was effective, but I, I just kept thinking about breathing. Like, <laughs> probably because I had just eaten a lot. Yeah, no, I just it felt like it added to the realism of it in some way. Yeah, like, like that, it kind of puts you in yeah. their headsets or in in their helmets or whatever. Right. I could definitely go for one of those helmets with an air filter on it with all this wildfire smoke we've been having recently. Am I right, Charlie? Yeah, the uh, stuff floating around in the air, the dust in the movie was kind of making me think like, yeah, (laughs) it's like, (laughs) oh, it's just like being outside right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But also one of the things I liked about this movie, just a little thing, but they don't have lights inside their helmets. Like, lots of science fiction tv shows and movies do where they like it's there to light up the actor's face but you know if you did that in real life you wouldn't be able to see out the visor at all and i appreciated that did that did not happen in this movie do you think that was a uh a conscious choice or they just couldn't afford helmet lights because it was a very low budget movie yeah i mean they have helmet lights on the outside so they definitely could have done it if they wanted to so yeah i think it was a conscious choice i'm gonna give them full credit (laughs) How about the scene with bubbles from the wire? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Uh, You're going to have to explain to me what scene that is, because I haven't seen the wire. Andre Royo. Charlie. He was like the tribal chief guy. we introduced Doug as our neophyte yet? (laughs) Our cultural neophyte? Yeah, it's pretty much tabula rasa over here. So I don't know the actor either. 
So you're gonna have to explain the character in the the, movie. The tribal leader guy that they tried to barter for medical supplies with. Oh, okay, the religious uh, fanatic. Yeah, that wanted to buy the daughter, or wanted to buy Sophie Thatcher. That guy. I thought that was an interesting, like, little sidestep in the story. I really kind of enjoyed, too, how at the end of the scene, when she runs off, it's kind of in this weird situation where, like, you don't know whether Pedro Pascal was going, what he was going to do, because he's questioning them. He's like, what do you need her for? But also you kind of feel like, well, maybe he is going to do that. (laughs) She doesn't run off. I don't think we ever get any resolution for that. We definitely don't because, again, that was one of the things Michelle commented on. Because I, I think I've, I said something like, oh, we're going to see if he's uh, – we're going to find out if he's a good guy or a bad guy. And then she ran away and Michelle was like, we won't know. We don't know what he was going to decide. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't trust him. Uh, okay. I mean you got you got to run the numbers from his perspective though. You receive medical care. You give up your – way of getting off of the planet and a whole bunch of potential riches. Like it's a bad deal for him. Right. Which is how he probably would have viewed it as we established earlier. Like this was a very, they definitely painted a picture of like a very survivalist, every person for themselves kind of existence here. Yeah. But he also has to not die first. So like the medical supplies are not a trivial thing. He used to get them somehow, but I guess he could come that back is and kill true. everybody. But he could always just cut his arm off. <laughs> okay, you're right. <laughs> Game, set, and match. <laughs> I mean, I mean we, James we Franco can do that. it in a Western movie. He can do it in a Western movie. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite Western of all time. I like that those people lived in a in a clear cut. I, I just really sometimes those those are very clear Pacific Northwest uh, landmarks. That was like a however many meter wide like strip of fully logged land. Yeah, so let's talk about that. I mean, this movie is set in the Pacific Northwest. I don't think there's any hiding that. Did that work for no, everybody? No, it's set on an alien world. Yeah, it wasn't <laughs> set in. Oh, okay. I think the clear or was it? This it. is the future. Well, maybe like, the green is actually... It's actually Earth. You know, maybe they're oh. from some other planet. Uh, then the, yeah, uh, but, the sky has really changed. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> the future. Look at your the sky giant, right now. Did it look um, like that last summer? <laughs> roughly. As far as the number of planets go, yeah. No, but I mean the... Uh, I mean, of 90. Okay. Oh, you're talking the planets you can see on the horizon. To be fair, if I did look up in the sky and there was a giant planet like that out there, I would not be able to tell because we're at like PS2 draw distances here when I step outside. You could feel the gravitational pull though, right? Like you'd feel lighter. Like, man, I'm very springy on my, on my feet today. I chalk it up to, you know, maybe the diet's really working out for me. So I just derailed the podcast by misspeaking. Let me correct myself. So this movie was filmed in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> How did you feel? I'll feel about oh. that. <laughs> oh, made Avatar look like a pile of crap. <laughs> I don't know. What else do you want me to say? I don't know. I mean, I thought it was very I'm, clearly filmed there. Do you, do yeah. you does it feel alien enough for you? It was sufficiently alien for me, yeah. The purple light helped. And the sperm gems. Took me out of it like just a little bit, even though it's like, well, 
none of this couldn't be the case. This could have been altered by humans prior, just in the same way that our Pacific Northwest was. But it did still kind of occasionally break whatever immersion was there. Not not necessarily at any fault of its own. Just me so getting I, distracted by being like, oh, yeah, I've been to a place like that. <laughs> so I didn't I, know it, that it always was... looks like that when <laughs> when they just I, cut all the trees and then leave it to grow in. <laughs> I didn't know that it was in the, that it was filmed in the Pacific Northwest, but I've only been to oh, Seattle yeah. once. And, and I and other than that, I haven't been within about a thousand miles of the Pacific Northwest. So that wasn't an issue for me. Oh, well, good. Yeah. <laughs> I did. At one, at one point, there was like the forest with the ferns in it, though. And I thought to myself, oh, that looks like northern Michigan, like around Torch Lake. <laughs> I did notice the ferns. Yes. Ferns do always give that good primitive planet vibe. And northern Michigan the, near a lake vibe. <laughs> the like prior to uh, flowering plants feel. Maybe that's that's probably a good case for selecting something like that. It does feel more alien and wild in the Pacific Northwest than when you're like looking at like maple trees, Starbucks, you know, walnuts. And yeah, (laughs) (laughs) there's a Starbucks through the trees. If you look really closely, (laughs) (laughs) you can see it through the dust. We'll put more dust in post. (laughs) Let's obscure that Starbucks sign. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with Adam. Like, I feel like the lighting and, you know, whatever color grading or anything that they did in post really helped. Like, I mean, it's still clearly where it is and you can see that. But I mean, they've only got, I mean, they don't have a huge budget. I think it's pretty, pretty good the way they did it. It was impressive. Just keep low key showing off how you've been to the Pacific Northwest a bunch. (laughs) (laughs) Watched a lot of (laughs) X-Files. Trying to get that Seattle. Yes, I get it. Yeah, it was the X Files vibe for me. That was exactly the playbook it was I, that I was seeing and thinking of. Was like, ah, since I spent a whole summer just tromping around woods that looked very similar, like that, like working in it, I was it. It actually gave me like a oh yeah, I remember being here at work kind of vibes. Maybe that's why I was distracted by it. Were you also hunting for sperm gems? So for me, I like that thought kind of crossed my mind but it seemed way more like an umbilical cord that's what it looked like to me it was an umbilical cord you know like it and they said you know like oh a queen so i'm just kind of assuming that whatever these horrible monsters are they're doing live births do we know they're horrible well i mean i'm i'm just uh I mean, I'm we just never saw racist, anyone, right? so. <laughs> yeah we don't see anyone getting eaten I, it's acid blood sort of thing or whatever that was. <laughs> yeah. Well, we don't even know that they're like creatures walking around or anything, right? They could just be like plant sort of things could that be. live underground. That's kind of what I thought they were. Like meat plants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Queen implies animal. Also meat implies animal. Yeah, true. A meat plant would be pretty awesome though. <laughs> That's what yeah. science keeps telling us. <laughs> <laughs> they also tell us it's impossible. <laughs> I've had the impossible Whopper. It basically tastes like dog food. Yeah, it was fine if you put enough stuff on it. <laughs> <laughs> if you mask the flavor with enough vegetables and condiments. Yeah, just like a regular Whopper. It tastes exactly <laughs> the way that dry dog food smells. Delicious? I mean, it wasn't inedible, but... <laughs> 
So I guess I do have a question. The the weird critters that they're harvesting these uh, egg gems from, were they alive or dead? That's a good question, because I thought alive, but now that you ask that, it actually makes me think, go back to like meat plants. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was alive, like a plant is alive. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Because we didn't oh, see anything hatching like, and like wreaking havoc on the humans. So maybe like an animal without a central nervous system. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, something also, that's yeah. fairly sessile. Yeah, but it's also got, it's like unstable. Like if they cut it the wrong way, then a bunch of stuff comes out of it and ruins it. Well, and like, so it's not like sitting around decaying probably. Some sort of biological defense mechanism. Yeah, right? which would be like it was living then probably. Definitely living, but. Are that you suggesting that well, plants alive. aren't alive? Yeah. No, well, no. <laughs> okay. Living I thought like the... a plant or living like a alien brood? <laughs> no. Sorry, I thought we were talking somewhat about whether they were living yeah, or yeah. dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whether it was alive when they were doing the harvesting. Yeah. Although the one at the beginning of the movie, when he you know harvests the one that the amateurs didn't notice to harvest themselves... I mean, the impression you got was that it had been there for a decent amount of time, oh, right? Yeah, because he said like during the initial rush they had come through. Yeah. Huh. At one point when they're talking about the Queen's Lair, they like wistfully mention how like, oh, I thought that was just a legend. Like it's been this rumor that has been around for years kind of thing, which would again imply that like those things have been there for a while. They came in, they uh, took all the eggs they could. Uh, inadvertently genocided the entire race of meat plant monsters. And uh, that's why the uh, shuttle wasn't going to stop there anymore, because uh, yeah. it already picked it clean. Well, yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, this is really a movie that demands a detailed look at the nature of the plant meat gems. <laughs> <laughs> it could have just made it unobtainium, so... They want us to yeah, talk about see? this. <laughs> James Cameron clearly uh, made the right choice in his science fiction movie. <laughs> oh, no. Well, when we get to Avatar, we'll have words about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess I guess nothing prevents you from selecting Avatar. <laughs> it's unobtainium. How can they obtain it? <laughs> <laughs> Does it turn into obtainium? <laughs> <laughs> I'm now going to think of this movie as uh, the meat plant harvesting movie. <laughs> I did get a little bit of uh, Chekhov's gun vibe when he mentioned the uh, whatever, like if you spill whatever liquid you had on meat, it'll explode. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's yeah, probably gonna yeah. probably gonna. You know, uh, come in handy later when they're harvesting <laughs> further gems in yeah, the presence of bad guys. Turn into a nuclear blast style explosion. Right. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was. <laughs> I I kind of thought that it was like, oh, so they're all gonna like they're gonna turn people into a fine mist from doing that. <laughs> also, just kind of speaking of that general thing, I like how he tries it one handed twice and screws it up. And then she comes along and the music starts to swell. And then she also screws it up. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Keeping it real. Yeah. <laughs> this is hard. 
She clearly should have uh, done a better job of picking up those skills. <laughs> what is that line from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide? It's times like these I wish I'd listened to what my mother told me all those years ago. Oh, yeah? What'd she say? I don't know. I wasn't listening. <laughs> Basically the gist of it, yes. Because Pedro, he had a good excuse for screwing it up. Yeah. And was was the amputation well, scene really just in service to set us up to this scene so that he wouldn't be able to cut it out cleanly? I think partly yeah. that and also partly to yeah let Is you it? know that <laughs> C has experienced, you know, uh, also, you know, she, she's not a, a newbie when it comes to this sort of thing. Because I literally wrote down as I was watching it. Was that amputation scene really necessary? <laughs> and then 15 minutes later, I was like, oh, it was necessary because now he can't yeah. do this operation cleanly. That's right. If you cut off an arm in act one, you have to not be allowed to use it in act three. Right. You need to really need it later. <laughs> Man, if only I had two arms. Check off the missing arm. <laughs> That's why I really one of my favorite things about the movie is just that kind of assuming the whole time that C is, you know, she's just, you know, like this character, right, who maybe has some skills or whatever, but like maybe can't take care of herself and maybe needs somebody to help her out. And then you get to that scene and she's just like sitting there just listening to him explain something that she basically already knows. <laughs> like she's already just cutting off his arm and is like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this already. And you're like, that's pretty much what she's been doing the entire movie like yeah i mean her dad's explaining all this stuff yeah and it's like she probably knows all this oh this one only goes up to five (laughs) (laughs) in in the beginning you see her fixing her headphones by herself like i mean obviously if she can fix headphones she can cut off an arm (laughs) yeah (laughs) doesn't need pedro uh to do a by the book mansplanation of how to amputate a limb One thing that I really, really enjoyed about the movie was just the way in which all of the technology looked and stuff like mechanical switches on the drop pod that essentially you really need to know what everything does. You basically need to be uh, a space pilot in order to be able to fly the dang thing. It's, you know, not this uh, nice white touchscreen Apple product future. Alien was uh, the movie I thought of. Alien, yes, but honestly, I was yeah. thinking like the real life Apollo program. Not familiar with that movie. <laughs> really, it's a it's more of a right to repair vision of the future. You know, <laughs> I, I it, it is interesting because yeah, some of the you know movies like Alien or whatever or older sci fi will have screens and technology looks like this because at the time it was like oh that looks pretty futuristic but here it's kind of like taking a step back and making it look like those other movies but not making it look futuristic i don't know it's kind of interesting could be another nod to like the you know again all the things that that seem to have influenced the uh writer directors yeah yeah. it's like it's like a hodgepodge of all their favorite sci-fi media you know the the sort of retro future vibe of those sets and ships didn't Mm -hmm. it hit different to me in a way than like differently than when you see other movies that kind of emulate that where it's like oh they're going for a 70s future future like i don't know what it was 
about it but to me i was completely sold on that that's what their world was actually like like maybe it wasn't like that you know maybe it was more of a it had a little bit more of an apocalyptic kind of vibe to it like maybe there used to be nicer screens and fancy touch buttons but you know that's just me kind of inserting details that weren't there there's also they definitely acknowledge that like they're not exactly like rich prospectors right like they're poor they have debt they're, yeah. They seem to be renting this pod kind of thing, and like, so it, it's not like they're uh, they purchased this state of the art spaceship technology, whatever, and it's theirs. It feels like they're kind of renting this whole thing. Yeah, like it really it gave me a lot of vibes of like it's like an oil western, except they're the ones who are like, we can get a little more oil out of this well. The big the big wigs wasn't worth it right. to them anymore. Right, we're gonna go find right. that and squeeze it out. <laughs> I mean, the whole the name of the vibes. movie, right? Prospect. I mean, to me, it <laughs> invokes, you know, oil prospectors, gold prospectors. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. like they got it out of the hills, but we can pan some. <laughs> In fact, if you go to the Rotten Tomatoes page, the you might also like is pretty interesting. <laughs> oh, it's ghost stories, devil's pass. Bone Tomahawk, which is very much so a Western movie. I think it's uh, quite the eclectic lineup of movies. Are they just all indie films or something? I mean, they're, they're nothing I've ever heard of. <laughs> but there's clearly a mix of, like, scary movies, sci-fi movies, old Westerns. What was with that dude in the box being executed at the end? Um, That guy was weird and creepy. Yeah, I he, think that's little, he was himself, the hero. Of the, he was the only the good situ- guy. Yes, yes. <laughs> the situation around him was so creepy. <laughs> A little bit of pitch black vibes again. Yeah, you're right though. He was like the only good person. <laughs> he really was the tracks of this of this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's basically what the Merc said. Was like, yeah, I don't know. They paid us to bring him out here so he could die here. I, I That's don't know just what, the what deal they is. do. <laughs> don't pay attention to the pink guy in the box. <laughs> yeah, why was he pink? Was that because of exposure to the toxins or something? Oh, that maybe. was my guess. That was they had my pre, guess. I thought they had pre-dusted him. Like, yeah, like, I thought maybe it was a cultural thing. Was, like, yeah. Because oh. he was also like in the box, like protected from the dust, maybe? How does um, he get out of the box? Did I miss something? I uh, didn't catch that either. I when don't she think turned everybody anything, into meat but... mist, he made his escape. <laughs> oh, was that it? Like, yeah. yeah, he could have escaped, but there were all those guards there or something. Yeah, that was my that was my assumption at least. I didn't think that hard, but that that was what I assumed was in the chaos and disarray. He, I mean, it looked like it was just like uh, like a clear plastic tent kind of thing. I mean, it didn't look like a lock and key cell. So I mentioned the pink because I vaguely recall at one point uh, Pedro Pascal talking about his infected arm. I want to say he said something about uh, he said pink in there somewhere. Yeah, he was describing the musician. <laughs> yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about the music. Yeah, hmm. we didn't talk about the ending really yet, did we? We definitely didn't talk about the ending, other than. Uh weird naked about to get executed guy became the hero <laughs> we definitely didn't talk about I, I guess i didn't really notice the music oh other well, than like the when she like was the... listening to her headphones 
yeah, no, where she was definitely. overloading the airwaves. Yeah. Uh, like the the I don't know was she Russian? Maybe it was some language I didn't understand, but she was blasting rock music at everyone. Uh, yeah, I think I read on the wiki that the music that's playing at least is Latvian. Was it like all the songs? Like the band that I think so. Yeah, there's quite a few songs, uh, but uh, I definitely enjoyed uh, how the various mercenaries died. Like particularly uh, him using the surgical knife on the the woman. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was good. It was just this great. She did not think this through kind of situation. <laughs> so the ending. Would you consider that a happy ending or just an ending? Yeah, she survived. But she didn't get any of the gem hearts. Her entire family's dead. Wait, they didn't? I didn't think so. I didn't think she had any of them with her when she escaped. Wait, did they just leave all of the ones that Pedro Pascal had collected like before we saw him, before we met him? I did don't they know just we, leave I, those on the planet? I, don't know I would have to watch it again, went. but yeah. I thought she just like scrambled to that escape craft and got the hell out of there yeah mm-hmm. they they didn't make a point of showing any kind of case yeah. or anything like that yeah good i lost track of the case after the shootout at the yeah. beginning of the movie yeah. yeah so she escaped with her life but without a single possibly without a single gem heart without her dad without any friends well but so it's I mean, like she smiled she's got pig she's got pedro pascal but oh. as far as the case okay. goes, like all it takes is another prospector to pick it up and put it in a post box for her. <laughs> yeah, just the His next name ship is on that it. comes around. Yeah. Once once they reopen <laughs> the line. Yeah. <laughs> I've played Death Stranding. That's how well this works. This is Oh wow. <laughs> okay, See, so that's it's... another this is basically <laughs> the Death Stranding movie. <laughs> when I saw them carrying like the stuff around on their back, I was like, Yeah, this is Death Stranding. I wonder if they could uh optimize that better their load uh their loadout it's also a commentary on the death of the american railroad well oh yeah yeah end of the line end of service yeah didn't amtrak just shut down a major line uh i saw there was something there was like a city south of boston that was shutting down their line for like the next four years or something absurd new york no it was boston (laughs) Yeah, New York City. You just Boston. said south of. Yeah. <laughs> Part of the megalopolis. <laughs> oh my god, I just realized his name was Ezra. Nobody's made a better than Ezra joke <laughs> this whole time. Because no one is. <laughs> she is. She saved him. I th- I don't know like really if the story is trying to say a lot specifically, but I don't know. I kind of like the ending too because she's in a different position than she was at the beginning like at the beginning she's like kind of dependent on her dad or at least you're supposed to be led to believe that she's the passenger yeah and then now she's in control of everything at the end like she chooses to take him along like she's taking him along because she cares about him or just because she's like everybody else and it's like she can get some more out of him maybe or she's just she, kind charlie or maybe she just had needs like a man around I, or something so that I, look you I, know, I know she can i well, know charlie i know that for appearances your world kindness does not exist but that's not true for everyone well in this Some world people are is. just kind <laughs> yeah all right well. i realize not everyone is as self-centered as you are charlie <laughs> <laughs> hashtag called out yeah but does she do uh, 
is she kind because she's kind or is she nice to him because of what she could he can because he can help her like i don't know if i, I don't really think know it's that. transactional charlie i guess I your think... interpretation depends on how mm. terrible a human being you are no i don't think okay well, it's certainly yeah. transactional in the beginning I decided to get real aggressive for no reason, just out of <laughs> like just Charlie, Charlie, attack you, Charlie all the time. <laughs> have you heard the parable of the Good Samaritan? <laughs> no, go was for that it. What this movie was really about, though. <laughs> no, it's a perfect but, parallel. I Charlie. mean, there's or a Paul. bit of it, though, right? Like. You know, they're prospectors out on the fringe. It's very dog-eat-dog. So her decision (laughs) to save the guy is altruistic, right? You know, it's not what you would expect. It's not what Ezra would have done. But she's trying to be, wait for it, (laughs) better than Ezra. (laughs) Yes! There we go. (laughs) Aha! It was good living with you. It was good. Oh. That's that's what plays over the ending credits now. <laughs> it should have. <laughs> oh, that was worth it. <laughs> I like to think that as soon as they got to the space station, you know, she just she found the nearest gun and pointed it at at him and said, you know, okay, now take me to my home planet, wherever that was. So you can envision a future. <laughs> An antagonistic as far as we know, she, she may have had one of those gem hearts in her pocket or something i did think though that like they should have <laughs> at least scooped up some of the uh little meat pods so that they could like you know cut the gems out later i assume there's a reason you can't do that yeah they might not keep yeah unless they, they had like a meat attached. pod cooler or something in there yeah like once you cut that umbilical mm. you're on oh. your own time maybe the clock's ticking yeah. Oh, maybe there's yeah. There's a reason they're like field dressing them right there. That is true. Because otherwise, why wouldn't they just bring them all back until they have like a more stable environment? Yeah. yeah. Why wouldn't a company have come in there and dug an open pit mine long ago and just uh, strip mine the whole planet for them? Right. So, what'd you think of the movie? Did I you liked recommend it. it. I liked it, and I would recommend it. I thought it was a a fun little uh, adventure kind of thriller, kind of. Keep shining your heels, a little unpredictable. I liked it. I gave it a B. All right. I don't know if the plot is anything really that special. Like, you know, it's got enough, like, plots and counterplots and stuff like that to stay, you know, relatively engaging. I don't know, though, that it's saying anything particularly profound. But I think where the movie really does excel is in the world building. And I know that I'm pretty sure I re- saw, like, some critics say something similar to this but yeah it just has a feel of like a lived-in world Mm -hmm. and it really does have like you said dan like that sort of short story feel like you're just dropped into a world for a little bit you know you're given incidental details that sort of flesh out the world but not in a way that explains the world to you just enough yeah just enough to give you the feeling that like there's a lot more here yeah yeah like it's a fleshed out setting yeah it's uh, in some ways, it's the anti-solo Star Wars movie. <laughs> it doesn't feel the need to explain everything. <laughs> and I think uh, the movie really does succeed by the the uh, strength of its its cast. The the particularly the two main 
characters, mm-hmm. Pedro Pascal and Sophie Thatcher, I think do a really good job of carrying the movie. So I, I definitely enjoyed it for, for those aspects. So yeah, less for the story and more just for the, and more just for the atmosphere that's kind of happening. Yeah. I would agree with everything you said. Yeah. I just, just a big old agreement. Thumbs down. No, <laughs> no, I'm basically disagreeing with you too. I mean, I kept wanting to read a little bit more into it and like uh sophie thatcher's character but i really don't know how much is is there or not there like i like that she has some facets to her that are a little bit different than you'd expect i mean instead of just you know a girl who's running away from danger right and just trying to make it through but um yeah the acting was good and i i also enjoyed the world building and we sat here and talked about meat plants for you know at least 15 minutes and i bet we could have made it the whole podcast if we (laughs) Didn't restrain yeah. ourselves. <laughs> we could draw diagrams, yeah. three-dimensional underground diagrams of the true organism. Speculate what chemicals are best for processing them. Say so, and yes, just so everyone knows, that was our restrained conversation of meat plants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your your note about the Sophie Thatcher character. It's like she was a she was a strong uh character who could like hold her own without like smashing your face and like girl power you know right it's almost like she didn't want people to know necessarily that she could do that or didn't feel like she had to to prove that yeah it 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 wasn't like a gimmick it was like you know she had those abilities and that was part of her character and a lot of it's more impressive too just knowing the backstory knowing this is there's only a four million dollar movie that's like you're wondering how much they even pay the actors to do this you know so like any shortcomings and like you know like I said, just the setting looking exactly like what the, you know, the Pacific Northwest, which is what it was like, that's fine. Like I, you know, they really swung for it. And I think they did a pretty good job. The sort of thing like you'd hope that they would, this would be a good stepping stone for them. And maybe right now I'll look up and see if it was or not. I don't think I saw much more credits for them. Wasn't enough to get them uh, their own link on their, on the Wikipedia page. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I checked. <laughs> I tried to click on it to say, oh, what else did they do? And nothing there. <laughs> yeah, I appreciated that they didn't use very much CGI. And where they did use CGI, it seemed like they actually you know, put in the effort to you know, make it look like good, real-feeling spaceships, like spaceship exteriors. I didn't, beyond that, for like the interiors and like all the, the environment suits and all that, um, you know, just very practical. And I think it was just really good. Worked well. Yeah. And I realize it's a limited budget, so it's limited what they could do. But I, the, how good the space stuff was made me want like more space stuff, you know, mm, true. <laughs> like I was like, oh, I wanted to see at least a couple more ships, you know. But oh, yeah. yeah. You, you don't you don't build those kinds of, you know, elaborate sets out of you don't build tons of those or tons of, uh, you know, however they did the space station and all that on a shoestring budget. But yeah, overall, I definitely agree with uh, a lot of what everyone said. I, you know, going in, I didn't really have any expectations other than just whatever tiny plots and, you know, one sentence plot synopsis you get that kind of tends to mislead you. So I, I found it taking lots of unexpected uh, turns that were, uh, you know, kept me engaged. And I thought, yeah, for the budget, it was like really cool visually and um definitely gave strong uh western 
movie vibes, which is a genre I think I probably uh, have underwatched in general. So, yeah, I really, really thought they did a great job. Uh, one thing I will say in closing is that if you do intend to watch this movie, I would suggest maybe not watching it on Freebie where there are ads every 15 <laughs> to 20 minutes. Oh. <laughs> it break it up a little bit for me. I, I was going to mention that too and like how annoying it was. And then I just kind of forgot about it when I was thinking back about the movie. Like I didn't remember the breaks and I'm like, okay, <laughs> I guess it was fine. <laughs> that good about break blanking your memory but that takes an hour and 40 minute movie and really stretches it out i imagine i think it was a full two hours yeah. oh man really filled the slot <laughs> I better, s- better than like uh what watching movies on usa or back in the i day. <laughs> i begrudgingly splurged on the uh the amazon rental <laughs> oh. spent uh, 3.99 I I can do you one better. <laughs> I saw the 3.99 for Google Play or 7.99 to buy it and I was like, well, if I ever want to watch it again, I'll break even. <laughs> so I just bought it. <laughs> so it That's disappears from your library. <laughs> we'll call you if we need to go to the tapes later. <laughs> Look, as long as I watch it again one more time in the next yeah. few years, but how do you know about the existence of the show Jury Duty? <laughs> how many commercials That's did you get true. for Jury Duty? I think every Actually, single I only break. got one. Oh, I got like six or seven. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, is, are you talking making... about the Pauly Shore movie? No. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's the reality show with uh, James Marsden. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I've actually heard it's very good, been... and I was thinking of yeah. watching anyway. Yeah, I'm I think sorry. it's been blowing up on like TikTok or something. What is this? Do you Does remember? Like, do you remember the Joe Schmo show on like Spike TV forever ago? Really. I loved that show. Where I'm, basically I'm it's a reality show, but everyone in the show except for one person are actors, and they're just throwing situations at the guy to see what happens. Uh, the Jury Duty show is basically that, except instead of them being actively on a reality show, like they think the guy thinks he's been called in for jury duty and been selected has to serve on the jury. And one of the people on the jury is, I think it's, if I have this right, is uh, James Marsden who plays like a really like sort of arrogant version of himself. But it turns out like the guy who doesn't know it's a reality show, like is super nice and kind. And so, yeah, like they keep doing bizarre things to him as well that he has to roll with. So what you're telling me is that it isn't a remake of the Pauly Shore classic. Not currently, no. Don't need a remake. (laughs) (laughs) And I I say that with reverence. (laughs) All right, Charlie. I guess you're up. It's time to shuffle the sci-fi. Are you going to pick yet another 2010s movie? So, yeah, the movie I was thinking that we all should watch is the 1981 film Scanners. Oh, just in time for the uh, Criterion sale for me to go buy a copy and have an excuse. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't uh, actually pick a 2010s film. Good for you. <laughs> well, I always defer to you. Oh, I've never seen that before. Uh, I have, and I guess I would say, Adam, you might want to consider it before actually buying it. <laughs> it does not seem like your kind of movie. 
but it's in the Criterion Collection. <laughs> yeah. Therefore, it is this type of movie. You don't By definition. To, you don't have to like something to buy it. Right. It's got that anus <laughs> film seal of approval. <laughs> that is true. Janus, I'm told. Janus, sorry. I have not seen it, but I am all for excuses to spend money on something I probably don't need. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report, my name is Charlie Wallace. And I'm Adam Gobeski, and thanks again to our three guests for joining us on the Sci-Fi Shuffle. We had Doug Gobeski. It was great to be here. Paul Wilcox. Thanks for having me. And Dan Hess. Thanks for humoring my selection. I enjoyed it. Was, it was a pleasure. That's our show. Thanks for listening. We hope you check us out. Don't forget you can visit our website at www.gobeskywallacereport.com. Also, we're on Facebook and Twitter, so make sure to look for us there for extra entertaining bits. You will be entertained. Possibly. Wait. So you're definitely entertained, but only possibly entertained. Well, I don't want to get sued for false advertising. Is, yeah. is, is Skype like uh, just a lowercase s added to the dictionary word now? Like, like no. To Google no. something? <laughs> to Skype, Skype I think, is, is still proper. Is, is Zoom uh, a verb now? No. Well, yeah, it depends. <laughs> Other than, you know, the... zooming around. <laughs> like on a Segway. Also a capital S. <laughs> I mean, unless you're talking about like transitioning into, you know, oh, starting gosh. the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. My name's Charlie Wallace. <laughs> I'm not letting you do that. You have to do that properly. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I set it up real nice. It.